0: This passage really summarizes so much of what we're going to be looking at tonight. This morning we were talking about be grateful and be faithful, and um, we're in a unique season in Sherwood's history to be uh, having just had Michael retire and a new pastor coming in just a few weeks. And for us to look at what God has done over the years and to be grateful for those things. But also to know that God's hand of blessing has been on this church. And we don't want to do anything that would cause him to take his hand of blessing off his church. So this morning we talked about some of the distinctives about the DNA of Sherwood that are really biblical. Regardless of what church you go to, we should all be moving in these directions. The first six that we talked about this morning were that Sherwood is gospel-centered Grounded in God's word, has a devotion to prayer, is lovingly unified, is racially diverse, and has freedom of worship. And those are each priceless blessings to each of us, and really they align with Scripture and God's heart. So this evening, we're going to continue with six more distinctives that are about this church that we should thank God for, but that we should press in at the same time and ask the Lord to continue to help us to grow in these areas. Even as in Philippians chapter one, the apostle Paul says, I'm praying for you. I thank God for what he's done. I remember the good things, but I'm praying for you that you would abound more and more. And that should be our heart's desire as well, that in each one of these things, we are abounding more and more. So let's pray now and let's ask the Lord to speak through his word and speak to our hearts. If you would, just right where you are, if you would ask the father to speak to you. Father, we thank you that you're such a good, faithful, perfect, heavenly father. You created us. You sent your son to save us. You adopt us into your family. You seal us with your Holy Spirit. And then you equip us and call us to serve you with our lives. Lord, we pray that you would have your way tonight. That you would fill us with the knowledge of your will and that you would give us a hunger and a thirst to know you and love you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, speaking to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, his disciples had been traveling around speaking and preaching and casting out demons, but Jesus is talking about another level of power. And when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, you see a transformation in their lives because they experienced the presence of God at a whole new level through the power of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't just with them, but now he was filling them and was leading them. And then Peter now preaches by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not his professionalism, it's not him leaning on his own understanding, but you see later on in the chapter him standing up and preaching the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've heard a lot of preaching in my day, (laughs) having grown up in ministry, having served at a church that would have preaching conferences and lots of different pastors that would come in, and it's interesting that you can see men that are professional, and they're impressive But there's a difference between someone when you see the power of the Holy Spirit on them. It can't be explained. It's something that they can't take credit for. It's when they're talking about one thing and God is speaking through them to you about something completely different. It's when lives are transformed because the Holy Spirit is working at another level. So, for our seventh attribute of Sherwood, sherwood believes in the power of the holy spirit now as a baptist church that is sadly unique now people will baptize in the name of the father son and the holy spirit but i don't know if you were like me and you grew up in a church that didn't talk that much about the holy spirit at all in too many churches the trinity is the father the son and the holy bible and then they will reference scripture but they don't want to talk about the holy spirit but yet so many of the heroes of our faith, we think about Charles Spurgeon, they called him the Prince of Preachers. And yet as he stepped up to the pulpit every Sunday, he would be saying to himself, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you see God's hand on people's lives and unexplainably using them in mighty ways through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the engine under the hood of the Christian life. It is our tendency after we get saved, if we're not careful, to say, okay, Jesus, I'm relying upon you for salvation, your death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of my sin. But when it comes to me living out the Christian life and loving you with all my heart, mind, soul, strength, me loving my wife like Christ loved the church, me reaching my neighbors for Christ, me ministering in my community, me being, you know, uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, I'm going to just try to get up in the morning and try to do my best, God, and try harder and work and work better and just figure out how I can do this. And here's 27 steps to have a better attitude at home with your spouse. And if we're not careful, we can get back to relying upon ourselves rather than relying upon God. But that is not the biblical model of the Christian life. Jesus said in John 15, apart from him, you can do nothing. You cannot love your enemies, your neighbors, or even lovable people around you with an unselfish Christ-like love unless the Holy Spirit is helping you. You will not be able to reach one person for Christ, regardless of how many evangelistic training programs you've been in, if the Holy Spirit is not helping you. And so I want you to imagine pastors buying a big giant bus for their church, and it's flashy on the side, and we're gonna use this for ministry, and the pastor hops in to the driver's seat of the bus, and it has a bathroom in the back, it has these cushiony seats, and yet, all the church members get out and push that bus down the road everywhere it's going. And they push it around, or across town to do the homeless ministry. And then we're going to push it and go on a mission trip. And they're taking turns. And there are many very professional workaholic pastors that are impressive that can put together an amazing team and delegate and work out the logistics as to how we're going to push this bus and we're going to get her done. And yet... That's what many churches do in ministry. They are given the Christian life, and God has given them the engine of the Holy Spirit, but they are not filled with, led by, submitted to the Holy Spirit, believing in his power in their lives. Jesus said, when he comes upon you, the power of the Holy Spirit, then you will be my witnesses. Now, Peter, in Acts chapter 2, said, repent, each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now what you'll see is the professionalism that many people in ministry try to do or many Christians try to do ends up being your best effort that makes you look impressive and then you try to take credit for it. But what you see throughout scriptures is when the Holy Spirit is involved, it requires us to humble ourselves to realize I cannot do it apart from you and for us in our weakness as the apostle paul said he shows up in our lives and then he does things that we didn't plan and can't take credit for and he gets all the glory for what happens that's how god likes to operate ephesians 1 says when you believe the gospel you were sealed with the holy spirit but in ephesians 5 it says now be filled with In the Greek tense there is be ye being filled continually with the Holy Spirit, daily dependent upon him and walking with him. Jesus started his ministry saying the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. And the Holy Spirit is the secret for all of us. We cannot obey scripture without him. We cannot live out the Christian life without him. Jesus says in John 14, truly I say to you, he who believes in you, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. How is that going to happen, Jesus? Well, first, in prayer, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And thirdly, he says in verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. A.W. Tozer writes, I have reason to suspect that many people are trying to give leadership in Christian churches today without ever having yielded to the wise and effective leading of the Holy Spirit. He truly is the spirit of wisdom, understanding, and counsel. He alone can bring the gracious presence of the living God into our lives and ministries. In our churches today, he writes, we are leaning too heavily upon human talents and educated abilities. We forget that the illumination of the Holy Spirit of God is a necessity, not only in our ministerial preparation, but in the administrative and leadership functions of our churches. We need an endowment of the Spirit of God. We sorely need more of his wisdom, his counsel, his power, his knowledge, and we need to reverence and fear Almighty God. If we knew the full provision and the spiritual anointing that Jesus promised through the Holy Spirit, we would be far less dependent on so many other things. We need the Holy Spirit more and more and we need human help less and less. That is true of us in our lives. When we went to Uganda, Garrett planned a uh, mission trip. The students went to it at the end of, was it 2019 Garrett? Actually, we went twice. And we're there And uh, we had an interesting encounter as we're praying and uh, ministering in this community. I heard on the way that some of them are dynamic believers, but there's so many different tribes that are represented that many of them think that salvation comes through church membership. That if you want to be saved, you've actually basically joined the church and that you, some of them are, again, love the Lord, believe the gospel, but there's this mix of the people that were there. And so as we were praying and getting ready for that, um, I was asked to speak, and I'm praying, Lord, what do I need to talk about to these people? I mean, what can I relate to them? They're living in a refugee camp in Kiriandongo, Uganda. They came from South Sudan. Uh, They're in total poverty. What do you want me to communicate? And it was the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. You focus in on Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. So I shared that morning with these different people, on Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Two days later, Sosten, who was leading our organization, came to me, and he said there was a man that was in South Sudan who was visiting churches there, and he had a dream of a white man preaching that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, and he left South Sudan and came to our refugee camp and wasn't even supposed to be at the service this morning, and he sat in the back and looked up, and he said what he saw in his dream The white guy, me, is standing up there talking about Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He began to weep in the surface. And I was thinking, isn't that what Peter did with Joppa and Cornelius where they're praying and they have a vision and God is saying, you want to find God but you need the gospel and Peter is communicating the gospel. There is no explanation other than the Holy Spirit was working. Nobody planned that. God wants to work in our lives in such a way so that he gets the full credit and we don't. Do not be drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sherwood believes in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, Sherwood pursues personal and corporate revival. Sherwood pursues personal and corporate revival. We don't need more programs or man's methods or strategies. We need a move of God. The same truths that are in 2 Chronicles 7.14, that if God's people who are called by his name will humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways then he will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land revival is not just scheduled meetings that happen one time a year when preachers come in and preach it is when believers humble themselves and in unity seek the lord in prayer repent of their ways and god shows up in power and there's no explanation. And when he shows up in power, many more people are saved than expected. Many more marriages are restored. Miracles take place when he shows up in power. You see, in 1734, when Jonathan Edwards began to travel the towns and preach the gospel of t- explaining what it means to be born again, he said that the towns became full with the presence of God, their conversation shifted. Later on, David Caldwell was a protege of Jonathan Edwards, and he began to travel and preach revival. He called churches to sign covenants of prayer. And he said, If you will commit to praying regularly, I will be the pastor of your church. And so they would have meetings, and they called it the Table of the Lord. It was a three day event. It's appropriate as we talk about the Lord's Supper tonight. Day one was that people would gather and examine their own hearts, and spend time praying, asking God to search their hearts to see if there's any sin, and they would get right with the Lord. Day two, they would meet with their pastor, and he would say, how are you living? What is going on? What is in your life? And if they're right with the Lord, he would hand them a little token, giving them permission to then take communion on day three, and then on day three, they would show up. They're right with the Lord. He's saying, yes, I believe that you're right with the Lord. And then they would take holy communion before the Lord. And the Holy Spirit started showing up at these three-day events. At Cane Ridge, 30,000 people showed up. And the power and the presence of God was so thick because God's people were getting right with him. They were repenting. They were taking it seriously. He showed up in power. And in the midst of that, black and whites both experienced revival and an abolitionist movement, abolitionist movement resulted. Slavery halted in the entire region after the Holy Spirit showed up. One hundred denominations ended up coming out of these great revivals. It launched modern missionary movements, child labor laws in America, inner city reform, the American Bible Society, the Salvation Army, China Inland Mission. Over a hundred mission aid agencies flowed out of these revivals that showed up in America. In the first half of the 1800s, the population of the U.S. increased fourfold, but church membership increased tenfold. Great revivals sparked anti-slavery movements, and dozens of home mission societies were founded. In 1834, the total annual income from all the offerings to religious societies rivaled the government's budget in America. Imagine that. (laughs) Let it be so, Lord. And then in 1857, Industrial Revolution kicks in and people started to focus back in on money and entertainment and prosperity and things. And Jeremiah Lamphere posted a noontime prayer meeting in New York and six people showed up, then 20 the next week, then 40 once a week. And then God sends the stock market crash, financial collapse, and people crowded into churches. By the spring of that year, 10,000 businessmen were meeting for prayer in New York City. The New York Times wrote about it. Prayer exploded across the nation. In Philadelphia, one meeting had 3,000 praying people every day. There were 50,000 conversions to Christ a week that happened across America. Because of revival. We believe in personal and corporate revival. If we as a church body shift towards what's the coolest new program or curriculum or idea and we're not reliant upon the Lord and getting right with him, then we're getting the cart before the horse. And yet I think about Malachi Russell's passing in the SCA revival. No explanation other than God showing up and over 100 people ending up coming to Christ. We have tasted it and we need to continue to pursue it. Michael Catt will not be standing in this pulpit, beating the drum, asking us to pursue revival. The word of God challenges us to do it, and we need to continue to do it as a church body. Number nine, Sherwood proclaims repentance toward sin. Sherwood proclaims repentance toward sin. Some people communicate God loves you as a sinner, and they talk about the mercy and the grace of God, but there's no calling to repentance repentance is a very very good thing our own sin will block and interfere with our fellowship with god but when we repent it stops the downward spiral of our self-destruction our spiritual apathy of being unloving and destructive we find god's forgiveness we find restoration and positive things happen in our lives i am grateful for the undo button on my car I'm grateful when my GPS says, recalculating, turn around. (laughs) And God wants us to embrace the beauty of repentance. It is a gift from God that he would grant us repentance. Mercy pours down when we repent. Forgiveness pours down when we repent. God is a loving father on the front porch, and we're the self-centered prodigals at different seasons of our lives, eating in the pig slop. And he's patiently wanting to restore us back into intimate, close fellowship with him. One of the signs of our salvation is that we're grieved by our own sin. In 1 John 3, it says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. A believer in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit in their hearts and the Holy Spirit pushes us towards holiness, and we will then be grieved by our own sin. Because he loves us, he will be moving us towards flushing the toilet of the junk out of our lives and repenting and getting right with him. Sin blocks his blessings in our lives. His power, the fruit of the Spirit, the love and joy and peace of God is not flowing through us, but repentance removes the barrier. It opens up the way. Every prophet of God in the Old Testament was preaching a message of repentance. Isaiah 55, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. What about the New Testament? Well, John the Baptist shows up and he's preaching a baptism of repentance. Jesus then comes. He said, I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. He sends out his disciples in Mark 6. They went out to preach that people ought to repent. In Luke 24, after his resurrection, Jesus explains, it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be pr- proclaimed in his name to all the nations. And then in 2 Corinthians 7, Our godly grief will produce repentance when we grieve over our own sin. Acts 17, God has called and commanded all men everywhere to repent. We say, well, that's not the tender heart of Jesus. I feel uncomfortable when you call me to repentance. Well, if the rubbing on the back as you're sinking on the Titanic doesn't work and the the gentle uh, encouragement to get right doesn't work, and God's warning in his word and through the Holy Spirit is not working. Sometimes we need a bucket of cold water dumped on us to wake us up. Amen. We need a two by four up the side of the head to wake us up out of his discipline for us. And so that's what the message was. And if you read what Jesus said in Revelation 2, he says, remember and repent. Revelation 3, repent or I will come to you and war against you with the sword of my mouth. Revelation 2, 16, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. and therefore be zealous And repent we believe in the beauty of repentance we want people who wrong us and hurt us and sin against us and mistreat us to repent to humble themselves and get right with god and come back and make it right with us and one of the signs of true repentance is restoration is that people begin to get things right with the lord and with one another and zacchaeus is the poster child for what it looks like when true repentance takes place as he went back and paid back the people that he wronged. So in this church, we proclaim lovingly a very beautiful message, and that is we need to repent. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation with someone that was a friend and they're confiding in you and they begin to tell you, this junk, this issue is in my life, and you're trying to decide, do I just comfort them? Do I just thank them for being transparent? Or do I speak the truth to them and call them to an account? And sometimes the most loving thing to do is to comfort them first and then speak the truth in love and to communicate to them, you know what, let me encourage you to get right with the Lord and to get right with the people that you've wronged. And then number 10, Sherwood demonstrates extraordinary generosity. Sherwood is a generous, giving church. And if you knew the DNA of Michael Catt, he's probably one of the most giving people you will ever meet in your life. His love language was giving. He was constantly giving to the staff, to other ministries, and it just didn't, it didn't register in Michael's mind why people could come, be saved, love God, and not want to give to kingdom causes. It just didn't make sense. But biblically, Scripture communicates that God is a giving, loving God, and out from his throne is flowing blessing and resources towards us. And he wants us to be like him. He wants us to receive and then to pour out blessings upon other people. You see that the Macedonian churches in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that God's grace upon them in the midst of their poverty were able to give beyond their own ability. And when I think about Albany, Georgia, one of the poorest cities in America, they say, and yet the generosity that has flowed out of this church, it's really to a credit to the grace of God. Our hearts are connected to our finances. God doesn't need our money, but he wants our hearts. And when we give to kingdom causes, our heart follows. It helps us to not fall in love with money, which is human tendency, when we're giving generously to kingdom causes. It causes us to walk by faith when we're trusting God to provide for us as we're giving to others. And then we get the joy of giving that comes. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive when john maxwell's enjoy stewardship services came to sherwood and evaluated the giving capacity of this church the average giving in any denomination they said across the nation was about 48 to 52 dollars a week for average christians or religious people around the nation when they came here it wasn't 48 or 52 The giving units at Sherwood averaged $128 a week and they were surprised that this church is such a giving church. This church has been so generous. I don't know if you remember different times when ministers would be traveling around. They'd go from city to city communicating the gospel and reaching people. They'd be invited by churches to come in and the church would, they'd travel in at their own expense, sometimes stay at a hotel at their own expense, speak at the church and the church would take up a love offering and give them $50 which didn't even cover the gas to get there, or the hotel. And they're barely scraping by, and they would come here to Sherwood, and this church would give them a very welcome reception, put them in a guest house, pray over them, and give generously to them. I remember when this church gave uh, financially to uh, a, a married couple in support of them, and they wept on this stage because of the generosity that his poured out of this church the bible says that we should be ready to give in the past year sherwood gave 17 percent of the budget to missions and if you add up fca this is in a covid year if you add up fca support lord's pantry missions and meet the need this church gave over a million dollars towards missions in 2020 a covid year Praise God. That's awesome. Now, the Old Testament law is training wheels. We don't wake up every day just trying to not murder people. Jesus is teaching us, no, don't just not murder them. Walk in love. Go above and beyond because grace enables us to love even our enemies. We don't just wake up trying not to lie to people. No, we're supposed to edify, build up them with our words. We're not supposed to just not covet people. We should be giving to help and support other people. So in the Old Testament, when God is challenging them to tithe and give a tithe, when you get to the New Testament, he shifts to grace giving, and that's what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 communicates, that God enables us to give above and beyond. There's so many people across the nation, they'll give like 2 or 3% of their income. And yet, God's grace enables us to do abundantly above what we could ever do on our own. And that's what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says. His grace enables us to give beyond our own ability. So I want to challenge you to take the training wheels off and trust God for more giving. Now let me say this, I'm not on staff at this church anymore. And nobody has told me what to preach. But I have consistently seen that when believers trust God with their finances, they not only fall more in love with the Lord, but he makes, He stretches out what they keep and makes enables them to do even more with it. And then he blesses them and they'll reap more than they sow. And then they get to experience the joy of seeing the giving that they did transform people's lives for the kingdom. It really is amazing. So giving generously has been a part of the history of this church and we should be grateful but then faithful in the days ahead. Number 11, Sherwood willingly serves our community. Sherwood willingly serves our community. Our identity as believers in Jesus Christ is we are his workmanship. We're not saved by works but because we are saved, he creates us for good works. He wants us to be like Jesus. Jesus would go from city to city seeing the needs that were around him, and then taking initiative to meet those needs. In Titus 2, it says, we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works, that we are passionate about doing good in our community. Hebrews 10 says, let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good deeds. You know, there are ongoing ministries in this church that I think we could take for granted that are constantly serving thousands of people in our communities. So I just put down these five right here that may be up on the screen. Number one is Sherwood Christian Academy. Constantly teaching kids not only reading and writing, but that God loves them. They're made in his image. and They can have a relationship with him through Jesus. The Sports Park, the Legacy Sports Park, reaching over 1,000 people every year evangelistically. The Biblical Counseling Center, not only pastors that are in crisis, but people that are struggling in a wide variety of issues in our community. And then the Hope Center and the Alpha Pregnancy Center, both of those serving weekly in our community, out from this church, ministering locally, and 80 to 90 percent of the people that these ministries reach do not go to Sherwood Baptist Church. Praise God for that, that God has blessed and enabled this church body to continue to give and to support local ministries. When COVID hit, this family was sewing, the Sherwood family was sewing hundreds of masks. Church members did food distribution. There's been more food distribution weekly since then they fed the employees at phoebe at easter we support the mallory association and they hold their offices in our facilities it blesses all 47 of those churches we support fca and they hold their offices in our facilities and it helps and reaches thousands of students with the gospel in the public schools the hope center just started sewing classes care baskets were left at the door of people who were tested positive with COVID. We don't say those things to brag, but we say, to God be the glory of what he's doing in this place. We should not take these things for granted. We should be grateful for what God has done, and we should say, Lord, how can we do more? How can we be zealous of good works? I love this verse, Titus 3.14. It says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. For the Lord is going to enable us in the days ahead at this, as this church body to see desperate and urgent need in our community. And we need to know we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And then lastly, Sherwood has a global kingdom outreach. Psalm 8.1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 2, Jesus Jesus hears from the Father, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. Psalm 57, be exalted, O God, let your glory be over all the earth. God's heart is not just for America, it is for the nations. And the Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations. And so this church body historically has supported in prayer global efforts to reach people for Christ. We've had global giving, currently financially not only supporting missionaries, but 15 church plants right now. If you add our prayer support and missions trips, it goes up to 27 church plants that we're supporting right now. Operation Christmas Child every year is taking the gospel to the nations. And this church, last year, in a COVID year, 700 shoeboxes last year, and by collecting them at the Hope Center from even other churches, 2020, over 5,000 shoeboxes sent out from the Hope Center. And then mission trips that this church goes on. Housing missionaries here that come in. The movies have been reaching countries around the world. You can walk down Legacy Hallway and see what God is doing locally and internationally through this church. But we don't do this again to brag. Every good thing has been from our perfect Heavenly Father by his enabling grace, his mercy and his kindness on this church. And it would be horrible if we get prideful or prayerless or divided or lazy and God takes his hand off of us and puts his hand on someone else who will be found faithful to him. So let's be grateful and let's be faithful. And let's continue to pray to our God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for what you have done through this church body. And I thank you for what you're going to do in the days ahead. Lord, we take off our hats to the past, but we roll up our sleeves to the future. And we ask you, Lord, would you equip us by your grace? to bear more fruit for your kingdom? Would you let this be a place where your Holy Spirit resides and empowers us? Would you help us to repent of all sin, to pursue you with personal and corporate revival? Would you birth new ministries out of this place? Would you change more and more lives every year? Would you launch new need-meeting efforts that touch this community and touch the nations for your glory? Lord, I pray we would not grow weary in well-doing, but we would know that we will reap if we don't faint. Lord, I pray you would help us to be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing our labor in the Lord is not in vain. We praise you and we thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.